Okay, uh, my name is Jonathan Moose. Um, I'm one of the worship leaders here at New Life. Um, I'm also a musician here. Um, and then I run, I'm gonna go over here so I can look at you all. Um, and I also run a recording studio here at New Life. Um, and so this is a kind of a condensed rig. Um, we have, hopefully it doesn't crash actually. This could, <laughs> could definitely crash and it has before. Um, but we have um, some better gear um, elsewhere in the church. Um, so. Primarily, the purpose of having the studio here at New Life is to record demos um, for when we're doing records and stuff, and we'll do pre-production. Um, we have someone has inspiration, and they're just like, "I need to do a demo really quick." You know, I, I, this song idea is in my head, and we kind of flush that out. We can be creative and dream. Um, and then we also do vocal tracks here, um, which is something I'm going to get into a little more in detail, but. Um, it's a structure that we've come up with um, for the singers on Sunday mornings and just the singers all throughout the church through the different services. Um, so we'll have little tracks with piano um, and uh, there'll be a melody down the middle and then we'll pan the harmonies left and right. And so you can send those out to your singers, you can go on planning center and they can download the attachment. And it just makes it really easy so everybody's consistently singing the right parts and everything. Um, so that's a little bit um, about kind of just what we do recording-wise, like on campus. Um, I don't know everything about recording. I'm going to say that kind of out front. Um, there could be some of you guys who actually know more than I do. So I'm just going to share some of the knowledge that I have um, that I've gained over the years um, or whatever. So yeah, I, uh, I actually didn't start getting into doing this until like the last three years. Um, I was just a musician guy, played guitar. I actually wasn't even a worship leader um, maybe six years ago. I just wanted to play guitar in a rock band. Like it's all I wanted to do. Um, and then, you know, I heard from the Lord, like I feel like a lot of guitar player types do. And I, you know, I felt like I wanted to lead worship. Um, and I started wanting to write songs. And so I wanted to learn how to record those songs. Um, and I don't know if any of you guys have ever tried to record with like really crappy gear or whatever it is, but if you don't know a whole lot, it can be very discouraging because like you have this idea in your mind, you're like, this is a great idea. This song is amazing. These melodies are great. These lyrics are gonna speak to everybody. And then you go to Radio Shack, you get your little microphone and you plug it right into that guy, <laughs> thinking it's gonna work. And it sounds terrible. I remember the first recording software I had was Audacity. Do you guys ever heard of Audacity? It's like a free download or whatever. But it was like life changing, like to get Audacity. Like the fact that you could like, whatever, sing into a microphone, put like reverb or put delay on it and like hear it back. It was just like, whoa, like I can't believe that I can capture audio and listen back again. Um, but there's, you know, there's discouraging parts about it when you're first getting into it. It's like, oh, my voice doesn't sound as good. I actually hate listening to my voice when I hear it played back again. Or I'm not that good at playing in time as I thought. Um, so, all of this stuff, software, you know, whatever's going on in that computer, things that make your voice in tune, EQ, compression, all that stuff is just tools, you know. Um, it's just tools to make your ideas great. Um, so, we're going to get into a little bit about that. Um, so, I want to kind of explain the purpose of a demo, like of what a demo is, because a lot of times people hear that term demo, 
like, yeah, I got, I'm gonna record my demo, or I'm working on my demo. It's like, what does that mean? So I don't know like the factual term of what a demo is, but the way we look at it here is a demo is a high quality, undistracting version of a song that you've written. Um, so it's something that you can listen back to yourself, you can show it to others, you can show it to your worship team so they can learn it. And it's quality enough to the point where your idea is getting across, but it's not overproduced enough to the point where it's like a finished album. It's just like the vocals are in tune, the guitar is in time, the piano is in time. It's not distracting, you can learn. Um, so that's kind of how we view demos here. Um, but there's a couple different thoughts. Um, our record label for New Life Worship and Desperation Band is integrity, and a lot of times when we show them demos, if it's overproduced, does that make sense that we're overproduced? Like, there's too much. Like, you played drums, you played bass, every melody line on the piano is thought of, every guitar line is thought of, like, it's just pretty much done. So it's like, when you show that to like a record label, when you're just writing a song, it's like you're pretty much, you're trying to show them how good you are at recording versus like, this is just a good song. Like you kind of want to leave the, the, just kind of do the outline and allow people to kind of paint it with their own thoughts, like initially. And then when you start working on a record, that's when you make really big, you know, brush strokes and stuff like that. And you fill it in and it's like a record. But for a demo, you don't want to go f too far down the creative process with like drums and like, you know, guitar and stuff like that. You can, and I'll show you examples of that stuff that we do. Um, but for the most part, a quality demo is going to be like piano, vocals, acoustic guitar, maybe some electric guitar if there's like a really like prominent line that's like this is the song, you know what I mean? Like this has to be there. Um, but for the most part, I would say if it's a good song, then you don't need to have all of those drums and all of that guitar if you're just showing it to people. Um, to get the idea. So, you know, all this is subjective though. Um, this isn't like the gospel truth about recording. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, the other thing that I, I do want to say about um, demos is you don't have to be making a record to do demos. Your church doesn't have to be a church that records an album every year to do a demo. Um, and you don't have to be one of those churches that records albums to write your own music. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's so awesome. Like when churches write music and that's like their song, like that their church knows, you know what I mean? That's kind of their anthem um, for their church. So it's kind of like this ambiguous kind of thing of like, oh, there's these churches out there like Bethel or New Life or Hillsong and they're the elite few that, that are able to write music. And the rest of us are kind of not going to be able to do it because we don't have the resource. We're not as big. Nobody's going to hear it. Um, and if you think about it that way, it sounds kind of daunting. It's like, yeah, like, why would I want to add to the noise? Everybody's doing it anyways. Um, but, you know, there's so much more to songs and singing songs in church um, than making records. Does that make sense? Um, it's really awesome if one of the people on your team or if you're a worship, who's a worship leader? Awesome. Um, if one of you wrote a song, um, or you and your team wrote a song together, and you want to do that at church. Before I was at New Life, we used to do that at my church, and it really blessed our church, and those were like our songs, you know, it was like our DNA and our blood, like within that song, um, and it was powerful. One of those songs for us is Overcome, 
Um, it's like one of the more um, just powerful songs in our church. Like we could do it. Every, Brady was saying this in a, a breakout earlier. Like we could do that song every Sunday, and like there's just a moment, you know, like the Holy Spirit is just present because there's just it's our DNA, it's our blood. So um, you don't have to make a record. You don't have to record a 12-song record to do demos and record songs or write songs, any of that stuff. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the heart behind it, but let's get into some logistical stuff. Um, we'll, we'll get on this and I'll, I'll show you some things and we'll, we'll get a little bit into mixing um, and just the different tools that are within the program. Um, but let's just talk logistically as far as recording and like what this stuff is. So. One of the big questions is, you have a voice, or you have a guitar, you have something live, or you have an instrument, and you want to get it into there somehow. How does that happen? Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about signal path. So um, you know, at like a really raw form, if you're just singing, if all you have is a microphone, doesn't matter what it is, it could be a million dollars, it could be 50 bucks, you have one microphone, and you want to pick up audio like your acoustic or your voice. So what you do is put that microphone in a good spot, there's a signal um, that that microphone is picking up and it's inherently weak, a microphone signal. So that's when pre-amplification comes into play um, and your computer, whether it's you know a Mac or a PC, it has a, has a preamp within it. It's usually a pretty bad one. That's why people spend a lot of money on good preamps, and we'll, we'll get into that a little more too. But if you wanted to, you could just get a microphone in there and it would be a decent level. Um, there would be some preamp happening. But typically, you would want something that's a little better, that colors the, the sound a little more, makes it a little more vibrant, full. So that's when you would go into this guy. So this is not that good of a device. This is probably like middle of the road, but, um, and you could do the same thing with a, a much worse one. Um, but this is the one that I have. And so what it is, is there's eight channels on this. There's really nice ones that you can have as many as you want. You can have a hundred channels if you wanted. Um, but for the sake of demos and what we're talking about, you really only need two if you're trying to do two things at the same time. If you have a song idea, and you just want to sit down, play the guitar, and sing at the same time, bang it all out at once, you just need two. So you can record two channels at the same time. Am I talking too fast? Okay. Um, <laughs> I haven't explained this stuff in a long time, so it's like when it's coming out of my, my mouth, I'm kind of like developing the thought, and I'm like, yeah, I guess that is how that works. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, essentially, let's just assume that this only has one channel. Don't worry about the other eight. We're just talking about this right here. And I don't know if you can see that, but it's pretty much, it's just like a, a microphone input. Or it could be like a, a quarter inch, like an instrument lead. Um, so within that one channel, inside of that, there's a preamp, which is pre-amplifying your signal, whether it be voice or guitar or whatever it is. And then the next stage in that is there's audio digital conversion. So that is really, what makes it so that you can go from like raw audio and get into like a digital device like a computer. So back in the day, that didn't exist. So it's like, how'd they do it? Like they had tape reel. So 
the preamp and the microphone, that stuff still existed, but there was no digital audio conversion. So I'm actually not entirely sure how it works, because I was I'm way too young <laughs> like to be in that era. But they would physically, <laughs> but they would like, you know, huge bands, I mean, that you can think of. You know, Led Zeppelin, like Pink Floyd, all these people, like, they would record to tape. So what it is, is it's two reels, and they're going back and forth, and it's like physically, like, recording to that tape. Whereas, like, with this, um, there's a term that's called non-destructive and destructive within recording. So this is non-destructive, meaning if you record, like, you see these right here? These are wave transients. So back in the tape day, if you recorded the tape and you messed up, you have to go back and like physically punch it into that spot. Whereas this, you could like drag all over, you can delete it, delete it, delete it, and you can just press Apple Z, Apple Z, Apple Z, and it's all back. So that's amazing that, I mean, I, I never knew an era where I couldn't do that. <laughs> so I, I, there's some guys, um, do you guys know Matthew Valentine? Review. He's a, one of our worship pastors here, but he did a lot of the records for New Life. Um, he did My Savior Lives um, and Everyone Overcome, one of the D-Band records, um, and a bunch of other things. But I would ask him about that because he grew up in that era, and he was like, yeah, it's amazing. Like, I can't believe that we can do what we can do. So for me, it's like, I don't know. Like, you just do it. Like, you press record on the computer, and it does it. And if you mess up, like, it's no big deal. Um, so we live in a blessed time, is what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, audio digital conversion. So it goes into this box, there's a converter. Don't ask me what it looks like or how it works, but somehow it converts um, audio to digital. And then usually it'll transfer from this via either Firewire or USB cable. So this is a USB interface. So there's just regular old USB cable going from that and then you put it right in there or you could use Firewire like this hard drive right here is Firewire um, and then nowadays there's Thunderbolt um, which is much faster and more reliable but honestly this is working fine for me um, so yeah once it goes in there um, you have your your program but this is Pro Tools um, so yeah, I want to get also, that's a signal path. That's how it's getting into the computer. But I want to talk a little bit about computers. Um, I feel like within the church, everybody is, they love Macs, and I love Macs too. They're awesome, but it's not the only way. You can use a PC as well. Um, but I will say that Macintosh is very recording friendly, and they're very like video editing friendly, picture editing, anything like creative like that. Um, I feel like it's a little more aimed towards the, that type of use. So I would recommend Mac because that's what I know. But back in the day, when I was using Audacity, like I said, I was at a PC, I had like the worst Dell ever that was like 300 bucks. And I was recording, so it's not impossible. Um, so that's a pretty standard computer, you know what I mean? Like that thing's not hot rotted out. Um, it's got like, I think it's got eight gigs of RAM. Um, it's older. I think it's got the i7 chip, which is nice, but it's not the best in the world. And I've recorded on not even a Mac Pro before and I had Pro Tools. So um, computers are awesome when they're great, but it's not a game changer if you don't have the best. It can still be done. Um, so um, these programs, which I'm pointing to, which is Pro Tools, they're called DAWs, which is 
digital audio workstation. Um, Pro Tools has kind of been the industry standard for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, maybe less. Um, but there's a lot of other good ones. So this computer came with GarageBand, for instance, um, for free, which just comes with it. And GarageBand is awesome. It really is great. There isn't, I mean, like, this has more features and functions, like, no doubt. But if you're recording vocals, I mean, just anything really simple like that, GarageBand can totally do it. Um, the only thing that I would say GarageBand might be a thing you want to lean away from is if you're wanting to buy aftermarket plugins, which we'll, we'll get into that more too. But essentially what that means is when you buy GarageBand, it comes with a bunch of presets that Apple made, a bunch of pre-made sounds, um, uh, pre-made effects, you know, that just come in a bundle with Apple. As far as I know, you can't add to that um, like you can in Pro Tools or another program. I could be wrong, maybe they've updated it, but when I was using it, you just were kind of stuck with that. It was very basic. Um, so, yeah, there's a few other Pro Tools. Logic is another big one. That's another one that Apple makes. It's, it's kind of like an upgraded GarageBand, to be honest, but it's very pro. Um, Coldplay's record X and Y was made on Logic, and it's only 200 bucks. You just buy it from the App Store. It's amazing. Um, Jared Henderson, our drummer here at New Life, he does worship artistry, which is like that um, resource for musicians. He does all of his stuff on Logic, um, and it sounds great. There really isn't like totally a difference between Logic and Pro Tools, but those are the two big ones, Pro Tools and Logic. But there's also Reaper, um, which is, I think it's like a hundred bucks. I used to have that pro, that was the, the next step from Audacity. I went to Reaper, it was like a hundred bucks. Um, there's, what's it called? Studio One. Um, there's a few others, but honestly, I would say if you can't afford Pro Tools because it's kind of expensive, just get Logic. It's 200 bucks and it rocks. Um, so that, the digital audio workstation is like, it's kind of everything, you know? Like, if you don't have it, um, you can't really record um, in the, in the, within the parameters that we're talking about. Like, if you're wanting to make quality recordings, you need one of these guys. So, um, audio interface, we talked about that. That's another tool. Studio monitors, that's these guys. These are really important. Um, and you might say, well, why don't I just plug in my computer speakers? You know what I mean? Like, if it's, you know, if we're just doing vocals and piano and acoustic, it's like, why? I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Why don't I just use that? You can use that, but it's an unreliable um, source of what it's actually going to sound like. So back in the day, I used to do that. Um, and, you know, you get your chintzy little subwoofer that's on the floor and, like, those crappy, like, two-inch speakers with like a little tweeter and it's like this sounds awesome like there's so much bass like this is the best thing I've ever heard and then you go and play it in your car with like your new recording that you're proud of and it's just like <laughs> just too much so these speakers although they look very awesome they're very true as far as what's actually happening like that you recorded they're not colored and that's why studio monitors are very important because you want a reliable um, you know, source of what's actually happening. Um, I mean, you want your stuff to sound good, right? Um, so that's important. Um, uh, is it Jeffrey? 
Jonathan. Jonathan. Jeffrey sorry. is a very nice man, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. What's a good starting price to pick up monitors? I mean, yeah. Where did, where did the ones that are not so good? Yeah. Um, I know that M Audio make, makes probably the cheapest. I think there's like Behringer, which is like a very crappy brand. I think they make some speakers too, which are probably worse. But um, I think M Audio would be the lowest I would ever go. Um, and I would try and get something about this size or maybe one size smaller. Um, so I, I can't remember what size cone this is, to be honest. Um, like a six, it's either an eight or a six. So they they go one size smaller and then there's one more size. That small size, I just feel is is just too small. You know, it just sounds boxy. Um, they're just, it's not doing what you need it to do. So these are actually not that expensive. I think, well, they're not that expensive compared to how much other ones cost, but I think this is like 200 bucks a piece. Um, they usually sell them by the pair really nice ones I mean it's like two thousand bucks for a pair that's a lot of money I clearly don't have those at least this isn't you know the most renowned brand in the world and that's what these are um, these are reliable um, but if you're trying to get in the game I would say you're probably gonna spend at least two hundred dollars um, yeah I mean you can buy used um, that's another option so yeah they're important they really are um, um, oh yeah, I, I should say this, another um, part of this, the audio interface where all your inputs go into, it also has um, like a sound card within it. So like when you play iTunes on your regular computer and you just press play, there's a sound card that's within, a built-in sound card within, you know, OS X, whatever, um, and that's what's playing your music. When you have this plugged into that, once you set it up right, this becomes that sound card. So like, I can show you right now, if I press, um, actually it's not showing up. Um, usually like when I press, like, actually was it showing up? Yeah, there it is. Um, it's, it's not doing anything. There's an X over it, which means that sound card is inactive. And this is now the volume. This is the control of that. Um, so, um, studio monitors, the next thing that you're really going to want is some microphones. Um, and if you're only going to get one, I would say you should get a condenser microphone. And I'll, I'll tell you the few different types. There's typically the most common types of microphones are dynamic and condenser. But there's also ribbon microphones, um, but that's a little out there. It's not really applicable to what we're talking about for this uh, the demo application. Um, so. A dynamic microphone, um, it's very direct. So you guys know what an SM57 is or a 58? It's like the most typical microphone in the world. Yeah, it's like a little black tube thing. It's got like a little gray over it. That's a dynamic microphone. They're great for picking up like guitar amps or like live vocals or something like that. That's a really good um, application. But um, condenser mics is typically what people would use to record vocals. Not always. I mean, this stuff's very subjective. You can record vocals with a dynamic microphone. Um, but I would recommend if you're just wanting to record acoustic guitar and vocals, you get a condenser microphone. And what a condenser microphone is, is there's a larger capsule. Um, I would recommend like a large diaphragm condenser microphone, that's what they're called. 
um, and there's a capsule in there which is larger, it's more sensitive, it picks up like the, you know, like the really sensitive parts of your vocals and the breath and all that stuff. And you can just put it on anything. You can put it on acoustic guitar, you can put it on your voice, sound great. Put it on a violin, put it over a grand piano, all of those things. So, microphone's important. Um, I think I have, yeah. Um, would you recommend getting a pop filter with the microphone? Yes, okay. I would. Um, you can make your own. Actually, I, I used to do that. Um, I took a sock and a coat hanger, and I just unwound it, and you just have it like that, stretch it out to about there, and then you take the other part, you make a circle, and then you just put like an old dress sock. Um, if you put like a real pantyhose, pantyhose do work as well. I didn't want to go there, but that's how I made it. Somebody else is paying. Somebody else is paying. Yeah. But yes, those are those are very important. Because um, um, what a, what a pop filter will do is, when you're singing on a microphone, especially one that's that sensitive, like a, a condenser microphone, um, there's sylvans that are really going to get picked up. So like keys, like if you're like power or something like that, that's like something you're singing or s's, those kinds of things, t's even. They'll really like it moves a lot of air is essentially what it's doing. So like when all that air is hitting the capsule, it's really picking it up. So what a pop filter does is it essentially it filters out those things to a degree. Um, not fully. I mean, there's still some work you might have to do if you're hearing some things. Um, but for the most part, a pop filter is going to be very helpful with that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I have some recommended microphones um, for dynamic and condenser. Um, for dynamic, like I said, the SM57 um, or 58. That's another. They're, they're essentially the same thing. I did this, uh, I tried to look up what the difference is between a 58 and 57 and like, because most people say uh, SM58. Uh, do you guys know the company Sure? Yeah. That's who makes this. Um, they look exactly the same except for the, the grate is different. So it's like, are they the same microphone? They're essentially the same microphone, but because the grates are different, like it responds a little bit differently. So if you took the capsule off of a 58, it would be a 57 essentially. But um, so that's the microphone I would recommend, 57 for dynamic, um, and that's for guitars, electric guitars, live vocals, those kinds of things. Um, and then for condenser, um, they they get expensive. Is the thing if you want like a quality one. Um, Sorry, I was boring. <laughs> um, I must have been spitting or something. She was in the front row. Um, yeah, I forgot my pop filter. Um, so they do get kind of expensive for condensers, but they, they make really cheap ones. They're not going to be as great, but it will definitely get the job done. I would say you could probably get a decent, I mean decent is kind of a strong word for $100, but um, you could get the job done with 100 bucks. But if you're wanting to go the extra mile, which I recommend, I would say a great starting point would be a Sure KSM32 or 44. KSM32 or 44. And those are, I think they're like 400 bucks for the 32, and I think it might be 800 bucks for the 44. Um, but you know, you spend, the 32 is mostly what I use. We have some 44s here. 
um, that I think we use to mic overheads um, for drums. That's another application for condensers. You'll often see those like really big microphones over cymbals. Um, and so that's another application for that. But um, there's another mic, I think it's called the Rode NT1 or NT2. I think that one's like 200 bucks and that's a, that's a great mic as well. But, you know, just go on to guitarcenter.com, type in large diaphragm condenser microphone, and there's going to be a million options that are going to confuse you like they do me. <laughs> um, How do you know if it's a large? Because, like, the diaphragm size here for the blue microphone spark is... Uh, that's point, another, another point, good. Is that a good one? Yeah, that's good. Uh, 0.91 inches or 23 millimeters. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> um, I don't. I've never, uh, I've never actually measured the size of the capsules and the diaphragms. Um, but typically, a large diaphragm condenser microphone has a large diaphragm. So it's not necessarily the size of the grate that is referring that it's a large microphone. It's usually the size of the actual body. I mean, because like. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the capsule, I think, is about that big under the grate. But the, the diaphragm is usually somewhere in there. There's smaller ones that are like that, but they're usually about that wide. Um, and typically, and this is a side note, typically they come with um, a shock mount because they're so sensitive that with a dynamic microphone that you're singing with, you can hold it, you can bash it, you can swing it, and it, like, it won't do a whole lot of stuff. But like, because they're so sensitive, they're usually in like this little shock mount that has like these little rubber bands or something that makes it so it's like, you know, it's gonna protect um, the integrity of the sound. Um, yeah. Would you recommend either getting a cheap condenser mic or a decent um, uh, dynamic mic? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I would say a cheap condenser, and people might argue me on this, but I would say a cheap condenser because it will get you in the game quicker than a dynamic will. I think it'll take more work if you're doing what we're talking about, vocals and acoustic guitar, to get that, that, that dynamic microphone to work for you than um, a cheap condenser will. But, you know, that's subjective, and it also depends how cheap it is and just how crappy it is. Um, <laughs> um, okay, another tool that is really important for this kind of stuff um, is a MIDI keyboard. And these are incredibly awesome because it does so much more um, than just make piano sounds, if that makes sense. And this doesn't actually make any piano sounds. Um, this is just a controller. So if you were to take, like I don't even think it, yeah, it doesn't even have one. There's not like an audio output that you can plug into, you know, a PA and start playing and there's a sound in it. There are those things. They're called, whatever they're called, digital keyboards or whatever, um, like a, a Yamaha P250, like that big old piano. That's actually has sounds in it. It's like a synthesizer or a digital piano. Um, so that will actually, like, you can just bring it with you. It's like, this is an instrument. This is just a controller. So um, in order to make this do anything, can everybody see that, like, decently well? Um, 
I actually can barely see it because I'm looking it up. Um, in order for this to do anything, you have to have an instrument that either came with your DAW or you bought later, but just something that's generating the sound digitally. So, I think this thing's locking up. Um, this is just a piano sound. It's called Alicia's Keys. Um, <laughs> it's made by a company called Native Instruments. Um, it's actually really cheap. I think it's only $100, but it's one of the best sounding pianos ever. So, the volume's down. So, this isn't doing anything other than telling the computer that there's information coming from this and it turns it into a piano. Does that make sense? It's MIDI, MIDI information is what it's called. Um, and so I kind of want to show you guys this um, instrument a little bit because it's really cool. Um, there's a lot of stuff within it. So this is one of the things that makes this one of the best pianos is that it's so realistic. So what I'm doing right now is I'm turning up the mechanical key noise and the sustained pedal noise. So you hear that? It's pretty awesome. So like basically what happened is there's a bunch of guys in a room and they sampled every single key on the piano, different velocities, barely touching it, smacking it really hard. Um, and and you get like a very realistic sound. So when you buy this plugin, um, it takes forever to download because there's so much information. Each key has so much different stuff going on. Um, so the sustain pedal does that, and then also there's the hammers. So you hear that once I let go of it? It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so if you want like a really intimate piano sound, it's real tender and sounds like a grand piano, that's a great option. But if you're trying to do something that's really clean um, and you don't want any of that stuff, you turn it all down. It doesn't have to be there. Um, so that's kind of what's amazing about MIDI is that it's just like, it's all controllable. So it's not there anymore. Um, and the other great thing about MIDI is that once you record um, with that instrument, because it's just information, it's not an actual audio sound, you can put different instruments in there. So suppose I'm just like, ah, oh, that piano is just not quite working for me. I just deleted it and I'll go back into my instrument list and let's try, let's see. I wanna put something really crazy in there so you can hear this just information. So this is a string library. I don't even know if it's going to do this because it's so random, but um, here's a brass ensemble of French horns. <laughs> Let's solo it and see what happens. That was piano before. <laughs> so, um, Obviously, that's a very stupid sounding instrument, but <laughs> the whole point of that is just to show you that if you had another piano that you thought was a better application for the song, you could just throw it in there, um, which is very awesome.
Let me put this back in there. That, that only costs a hundred dollars for that software. It's only a hundred bucks. And so you get all these different instruments, basically. No, for this Alicia's Keys is just a piano. Okay. That other instrument that I brought up was a totally separate piece of software. Okay. Um, let me see if this is. What software was it? Uh, that one was called Miroslav Philharmonic. It's like a string library and like orchestral things. Um, okay, so don't want to get lost in that. How much time do we have? Um, so yeah, let's get into a few um, of the different options that you have for um, virtual instruments. So that's what that is called, Alicia's Keys or that string library. Um, they're called virtual instruments. Um, and so that can be piano, it can be strings, it could be drums, it could be fake bass. Um, another really popular thing would be like a synthesizer, so like a pad um, or something like that. Um, or like a lead synth. Um, so all those are virtual instruments. And I have a few um, recommended products. Reason is a really great one. Have you guys heard of Reason? It's been around forever. Um, it's a little hard to interface with Pro Tools. That's the only thing I'll say about it. Um, with these other instruments, you just like load them from a list once you've installed it. Just double click it and it'll load right up and it's super simple. But with Reason, it's just a little more tricky. You have to do a thing called rewiring, um, which I hardly ever do because it's such a pain in the butt. But it's like you're trying to get Reason, this like other program to interface and kind of be a slave to Pro Tools so that you can control it within Pro Tools. Um, so you can have two very similar programs open at the same time and use both of the functions. So I'm not really going to get into that too much because it's not fully necessary to do that. Um, but if you really like sounds and reason, um, you could go on YouTube and look, out how, look up how to interface them together. Um, so complete, spelled with a K, um, is another um, really po uh, popular um, instrument. And what complete is, is it's a ton of different instruments within this one program. So Alicia's Keys um, is actually in that bundle because it's made by Native Instruments. They're the same company. So within complete, it's really expensive. I think it's like 500 bucks for like the light version. And then like the full version is like $1,000, I think. Um, but if you really add it up, it's like fully worth it if you're going to use all those instruments because on their own, um, like for example, Alicia's Keys is 100 bucks. There's about 15 to 20 other instruments similar to Alicia's Keys with Incomplete, and they each cost 100 bucks, some of them 200 or 300. So if you're wanting all of them, you save a lot of money by buying just that one program in the bundle. But that's a great way to get started because all of that stuff I just said, strings, pads, drums, pianos, it's all within Incomplete. Um, so you just go to nativeinstruments.com and you just digitally download it. Um, Omnisphere is another very awesome program. It's a synthesizer. Um, so it's like pretty much just pads, atmospheric stuff, leads, those kinds of things. They might have some like pianos and stuff, but they probably don't sound good because they're not trying to capture like realistic sounds. They're trying to give you like digital like synths and pads. Um, um, what else we got? Expand 
comes with Pro Tools. It's free. Well, it's not free because you got to buy Pro Tools, which is like 700 bucks. But um, once you buy Pro Tools, it comes with it, and it's awesome. It has tons and tons of stuff. Percussion, strings, everything we just talked about, but it's like a little less quality. But if you know how to treat it right, you can make it sound awesome. So I use that all the time because it's just easy um, and it sounds good. Um, this is not totally applicable for demos, but it's still, I think it'd be good for you to know. Um, there, have you guys heard of drum replacing? So that's like, um, so if you have a full drum set and you're trying to record drums, toms, snare, kick, all that stuff, and it just sounds real bad, or you want to like make it sound more digital and like more electronic and kind of poppy, or you just want it to sound, you know, like a different drum, you can buy these programs. One of them's Drumagog, and one of them's Trigger. Trigger is the one that I work with, and you can actually replace the sound of the drum. Um, so it just picks up that audio single signal, it goes into this program trigger, um, and then there's a library of different drum sounds with different velocities, so it knows when you're hitting hard or you're hitting quiet, um, and it'll replace it, and it sounds like you recorded it in Abbey Road Studio, because they like did record it there. So what they do is, in order to get those samples, is these guys, these like big wigs in the industry, they go into these amazing studios like Abbey Roads or something with the best microphones and the best drum room, with the best drums and like all this stuff, like with the best um, you know effects and all these different things to make it sound good. And then they put it in this plugin and you can access it. And it's really, really cool. We actually use it live, which is another thing. Um, so I don't know if, I think we used it with Corey this morning. Um, but we use it with D-Band on the road every time. Um, so live, there's a trigger on the kick and the snare. So it's just like perfection every time. So some people say it's cheating, but it sounds good, so I don't care. What's the name of that one? It's called, <laughs> it's called Trigger. Trigger. It's made by uh, Stephen Slate. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So the sound that we hear from them is not... It's not the sound of the actual instrument, it's the program. It's a mixture. It's a mixture of both. Um, we actually didn't start doing it until recently. Um, back in the day, meeting like three weeks ago, <laughs> we, uh, our sound guy Evan would just, I mean he'd do it like everybody else, and he'd just mic the snare drum, the toms, and it sounded awesome, but this program was just so incredible. Um, so it's usually a mixture of both. Um, it's kind of complementing each other. Um, so like for really sensitive stuff on the snare, it's hard to trigger it. Um, so like you'll have both of them in there so you can kind of have the feel and everything. But there's a two, two channels. Two channels, yeah. There's one for trigger and then there's one for like the, the raw snare. So, so how does it come out? So from your computer you have a number of outputs to the soundboard then? Or is it just... Yeah, you have to have... You pretty much... You know, I haven't actually looked at his rig, but the way I imagine that it's happening is he has a separate computer like that with Pro Tools or something like that running, which has the program trigger. And then he's got some sort of an interface with outs. And then those outs are going to the board. And then, yeah, that's the way I would see it going down. So, pretty cool. Um, let's see what else we got. 
Yeah, I want to show you guys some examples of um, some of the demos that we'll do here. So, this is a song that I demoed for Corey. I think my computer got plugged, unplugged because it's about to die. Um, this is a song that I demoed for Corey. Um, I don't know if he's actually working on a new record, but I think he just he had some ideas. And so we worked on it. And this would be an example of a very unproduced track. So it's like piano, acoustic, vocals, and I think there might be like a really like low pad just to kind of add um, some life to it. So let me find this really quick. like here like the chorus didn't have like a huge lift like it's not like we needed to prove it was the chorus <laughs> like um, whereas like with a record like you want it to hit really hard and you want to like you know it's just a little more of like an emotion thing but this it's like it's beautiful things are in time it's quality you're not distracted by like how bad something sounds like um, so that's kind of uh, just a standard demo that we would do. Right. So, yeah. Um, just for how that was produced. Yeah. Uh, you're a guitar player. Yes. You played that live through your capture cards. Through my what? Uh, through the, the interface. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, as a guitar player, you played that live going on. Right. Uh, sounds like the keyboards might not have been live keyboards that might have been added in the program. Yeah, that was this. With that same program, Alicia's keys. Okay. Um, so you started with the guitar and the voice. I think we started with piano. Um, yeah. So okay. typically. I didn't hear piano there. I heard the stringy keyboard stuff. I think there's piano in there. Actually, I'm kind of curious now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was just such a good, um, it was such a good uh, acoustic song that I think that was featured more. Um, 
So, oh yeah, another awesome thing about MIDI is you can time correct. Um, and that's like huge. So, nobody plays perfect, and you're not necessarily supposed to play perfect. It's not like that's the goal, is like everything is just like a machine. But if you're trying to like bust a demo out really quick and you don't have time to just like make it this perfect performance, you can quantize. Um, so that's like you select every note and there's a grid um, that all the MIDI notes sit on and you set it to I want to quantize everything that's within an eighth note value. Or if it's really fast, the sixteenth note. I don't really think there's a whole lot of 32 going on. but. Um, but yeah, you just say quantize, and it will make everything go to the grid. Um, so that's what that piano is. Um, so yeah, that would be an example of just like a really simple demo. But I mean, it, it just does the job, you know? Um, so I want to go into just a little bit of, I want to do it on that one. Actually, you know, I'm going to show you a song that's a little more produced. And then I'll show you some of the tricks in like mixing things um, that we would typically do to get it to sound good. So this is a song that is more produced. Um, drums, all that stuff. So as you can see, or here, that sounds considerably different than the other one. Um, 
both are awesome, but they're accomplishing different things. Like I would say that is much closer to like a record type thing. Um, it's not mastered or anything like that, like volume wise, um, but yeah, like there's all those elements there that are making you like really like the song, you know? Um, so I want to go into a little bit um, about like how to process vocals. Um, let me explain what mixing is. Like when, when, when you hear the word mixing, like, you know, I want to mix this song, or like we sent this song off and somebody mixed it. Like, you think like, what does that mean? Does that mean they just made like sure all the volume was good? Or like we have like our sound guy at church and like he mixes the band and like he just moves the faders. Like volume is a huge part of it, but there's a lot more that goes into it than just volume. Um, so there's a couple of aspects. There's compression, which is one thing. There's EQ, um, even reverb and delay and that kind of stuff um, would be um, attributed to mixing. So does anybody know what compression is? It's kind of like a random thing to explain. It's kind of hard to explain almost. Um, it cuts off like the attack kind of, of the instrument. It can do that, um, but I wouldn't say, I'll, I'll explain it. The way I, I think about it is there's peaks and there's valleys um, when you look at a waveform. Sometimes when you play a guitar and you really wail on it, if you look at that wave transient, it's really big. And then other times when you're just kind of plucking along, um, it's a little more quiet. So you think about it like peaks and valleys. So what compression does, like I guess like the main purpose of it, um, or one of the things it does, is it makes those peaks and valleys more consistent, kind of levels them out. Um, but compression also um, can be, and this is one of the cool things about it, is it can be like a creative um, piece as well. Like you can kind of color the sound in like a, like a good way. Um, like it'll add character to it. Um, so like an instrument that I'll show you an example of, like on that verse two, um, there's that snare drum that was just like really intense, you know? <laughs> it does like this sucking thing. It's like, um, so that is what I would call is like a creative thing. Or like piano is like another um, really cool thing to compress um, because it makes it so like if you're doing like a big line with octaves, it'll be like really like a tacky like, um, or you can make it do the opposite. You can make it have no attack. Um, so it's it's really controlling. Um, compression is controlling the transient waveforms, um, is what I would say. And then, is there any questions on that? So is that uh, example with the snare yeah. high compression or low compression? That would be a lot of compression, okay. like tons of it. Um, and so I can show you a little bit of how I processed it. Um, Did you change? Oh. 
I did not side chain it. Um, so this is, what compressor is this? I don't know, I think that's a free compressor I got. So what I would do to achieve that is I would bring, I guess I kind of need to explain what these things all mean. So the really basic um, controls on a compressor um, is threshold is one, ratio is one, um, and I would say those are probably, in gain, gain um, those are probably the three most um, important. The other ones can like help color um, a little bit and help you really dial it in, but those are the three most important. So ratio um, would be how much of that compressor like is affecting like like the, how do I explain this? How much it's affecting like the sound, I guess. So if it's like a low ratio, then that means not very much of the plug-in, like the compressor, is being allowed to touch the wave. So if I have a high ratio, then that means a larger ratio of that, you know, processing is able to affect like the transient. Um, and then threshold, and this is re that's really what I used um, to get that really poppy sound. Um, so threshold would be described as if this is your sound, if you're looking at it like this, and every time that snare hits, it goes to right here to this point. And let's say it goes to six. That's like the, the part on the graph it goes to. Every time it go, hits, it goes to six. So what the threshold will do is you're squashing it so you're making it so that it can't go to six. Like it compresses it harder before it goes to six. So it's like, yeah, it's just doing it right away. So if you have a really low threshold, essentially it's compressing it more than if you had a high threshold. Does that make sense? Compression, honestly, it took me a very long time to understand. It was kind of one of those just nebulous things out there that I was just like, what? Like, I don't understand. I know it's important. I know that everybody raves about it. I'm supposed to know what it is, but I don't. Um, so it just takes a lot of trial and error of just getting inside of one of those plugins and just figuring out what everything does. And a drum is a great place to start because it's very loud, it's very um, consistent, and so you can kind of like, you can tell what's happening, I guess. Um, any questions on that? Okay. Um, so that's compression. Um, another very important part of mixing is EQ. Um, and this is, I would say, is probably the most important part. Um, so, when you think about an instrument, like let's take an, uh, let's talk about like an acoustic guitar. It's pretty clingy. Um, unless the acoustic guitar is taking up and dominating the entire mix, um, you wouldn't want it to be that present in the mix, I would say. In fact, honestly, like for live application, um, we actually have the acoustic guitars pretty tucked in the mix because they're kind of annoying sounding. Like they're not, um, like if you're just up there with an acoustic singer-songwriter, like, you know, Bob Dylan thing, and you're just like playing, like you want the acoustic to be like prominent because that's kind of carrying it. Um, but for like a modern worship song or a pop song or a rock song, um, 
you don't, <laughs> um, which is hard because it's like I'm a worship leader and like I hide behind the acoustic guitar. It's like so easy. It's kind of become like this thing. Like this is just what worship leaders do. We have acoustic guitars. Um, so, but they're really more security blankets than they are like important. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but to take that instrument, inherently it's pretty clangy, it's pretty high, kind of takes it more to the high end frequency. Um, so if you're wanting that instrument to sit within everything else, um, you need to take out or add certain frequencies within the EQ um, field, if that makes sense. So on this one, if you're looking at it like this, this area would be considered low end, this would be mid range, and this would be high. And, and it's usually designated by Hertz. So like low end would be, just to throw some numbers, like 100 Hertz would be like a low end frequency. Um, or not Hertz, sorry, uh, maybe it is Hertz. Let me take a look. It's Hertz. It's Hertz. Yeah. And then <laughs> I remember that is the higher it is, the more it hurts. The more it hurts, it's true. Um, and then 10, like so 100 would be low, 10 would be high. Um, high end frequency, um, 10, 10K. I think it. Kilohertz, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so, if you think about it like this, if you have all of these instruments, how are we doing on time? When is this supposed to end? Does anybody know? You're great. Awesome. Um, so, if you are have a full band, you got drums, you got bass, you got piano, you got acoustic, guitar maybe some strings or something. All of those are taking up a ton of space as far as EQ, volume, um, and all of that stuff. So you need to take things out, like I said, or add things in order to make them all sit well so that you can hear everything right. Because if you just put everything in there, um, you'll be able to hear some things, but you'll have to really strain to hear it. Or it's like, well, I just need to bring the volume up. But then it's too loud and you can't hear something else. Yeah, so like the, the kind of novice move with mixing would be to raise the volume. Um, and that's what I did a lot of when I was first starting out. If I couldn't hear something, it's like, well, duh, I raised the volume, right? I can't hear it. Um, but that's not always the answer. The reason you can't hear it isn't always because of volume. It's because it might not be sitting in the right um, plane on the EQ. So. With acoustic guitar, typically I would take some low end out. I would shelf low end out because it's unneeded. Like you don't need low end with acoustic guitar. Um, and unless, like I said, that's the primary instrument it needs to take up all of the space because it's like acoustic and voice. If that's the case, then you need to fill it in more. So maybe you need to bring some low end up. Um, but um, in like a full band application, I would take some low end out and I might ri uh, raise up um, some high end. And so the way that that works is you're raising um, decibels, dBs. So suppose you wanted to raise um, the 10K. You found out that was the spot that was high and it was the right frequency and that's what you wanted to raise. You're essentially raising um, 10K decibels. Um, it, it's an actual volume thing. So if you took something out, suppose you wanted to take 10K out because you did that and it's decibels, which is volume, 
you're losing volume. So that's why within these plugins, there's also a volume knob or a gain knob, so you can, um, you know, recompensate for what you took out. Does that make sense? Uh, I know this is a lot of information. It's kind of one of those things that's it's hard to just explain in like an hour and 15 minutes or whatever, because there's just so much. You know, you really have to get behind the computer and and really um, figure out what's happening. Um, so you know that's a cute um, that application that I just said about um, acoustic guitar. You would want to apply that to every instrument, but in a different way. So a bass drum or a, or a bass guitar is totally different than acoustic. So it's like I'm not going to take low end out and raise high end. I'm probably going to enhance low end, or maybe if it's too low, I would take a little bit out. But like it would be a different thing. Right here. What uh, channel do you have pulled up there that you EQ? Let's take a look. This is a snare drum. <laughs> and I'm actually not, I think I did that because I was trying to um, make an effect. You know what I mean? Like I wanted it to be beefy. I wouldn't typically do that for, let's see what it is. Oh, it's, a, it's not a kick. Sorry, wrong one. Maybe it was the kick. Lost it. Here we go. Yeah, that was that um that really weird snare drum on the verse. So um yeah, I mean that's not like the go-to setting for a snare drum. You know what I mean? Like um it, it's just it totally changes um, between instrument. Um, That's just what you were trying to achieve. Yeah, I don't know. It just sounded right. There's not, there's not rules with this stuff. Like I feel like when I was, and I'm still like feeling this way. But like when I, when I was like really green to all this stuff, like I just wanted someone to be like, these are the numbers you put in to make a drum sound good. These are the numbers you put in to make a voice sound good. And it's like nobody can tell you because it, there isn't like a number for everything. Like you kind of just have to figure it out like for instance when I I know pretty well how to make my voice sound good with this because I do it all the time I'm always hearing my voice I'm always singing into this program so I know what to do but if I do a demo for John Egan his voice is totally different than mine so if I use the same EQ preset that I have made for my voice I'm gonna hear it on his and I'm like that doesn't quite sound right you know what I mean like my voice when I sing um, I tend to generate a lot of low end. Um, so I would cut out a lot of that on my voice. I would cut, this might not make sense, but I would cut up to like 200 kilohertz on my voice. And that's like pretty extreme um, amount of low end to cut out. If I did that on John's voice, it would be like, ah, I feel like it sounds kind of thin, you know what I mean? Like, um, so it's just different. Snare drums, like, you know, my snare drum sounds different than Joe Schmo's snare drum. I know this is kind of an odd question, but um, did you have like a mic on the top and bottom of the snare drum? Because it would kind of sound like that with the rattle. Um, that is a sample, actually. None of those drums are real. <laughs> um, do you know how they were sampled? Do I know what? Does the library tell you how they were sampled? Yes, they do. But that that is not um, from that library. This is just like a random. I think my buddy made these, um, and he just gave me a folder with some samples he made. Um, 
and just for different things, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, that's kind of a goofy sounding snare drum, so I was like, that's kind of cool, it's kind of weird or whatever. Um, so, like, yeah, but I, I would say if I was trying to get like a good drum sound, I would mic the top and the bottom for sure. Um, yeah, let's see, what else do we got? Um, Yeah, we can talk about delay and reverb a little bit. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Like, the only thing I would say about those two um, is to use them sparingly. Um, it's it's like really tempting to just like reverb the crap out of something because it just makes it sound like really spacey and like, you know, it covers up a lot of blemishes and everything. And so you just want to put tons of it on there. Um, but I would say steer away from that because if you're having to put that much reverb on there, that means you probably did a bad job of recording it. Um, so I would go back and try and figure out how to make the original recording sound better or how to EQ it right so I don't need to like cover up something. Um, but you know, there's cool things for it. I mean, like on this song in the very beginning, like for the vocals, like I was really intentional about having, um, let's see, where is it at? I was really intentional about having there be a lot of obvious reverb because the vocals are so spaced out, you know? Facing all this before me. Like there's so much space that it can kind of, it can take up. Typically that would be too much delay like if it was like a pretty like moving song like that would be like that's just covering everything up but you know it, it feels good when it's like facing all this before me and then the next you know lyric isn't for a little bit so it's like it fills that space and it's kind of like oh cool I like that um, so delay and reverb pretty self-explanatory just you know don't overdo it um, but also, like I said, there's no rules. So if you want to overdo it, then overdo it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I want to talk about auto-tune just a little bit. Um, auto-tune or pitch correction, like there's a couple of different softwares. There's Melodyne, there's auto-tune, and those are pretty much the only two um, big hitters as far as correcting pitch on vocals. Have you guys heard of those companies? Um, pretty much everybody's heard of, of Autotune. It's like the most celebrated, um, you know, plugin of all time. Well, does that make sense when I say plugin? I feel like I kind of just started saying that. A plugin is either a reverb, delay, compressor, Autotune. It's something that you you put on a channel that processes it a certain way, and they're just referred to as plugins. Um, and you can buy them aftermarket. You can buy them from other companies and use them within Pro Tools or Logic um, or something like that. Um, so Auto-Tune, I really like, um, but it's just all about being sparing with it. <laughs> if you do too much, it's going to sound really obvious. Um, so... AC, all this before me. That's a little heavy on the auto-tune because it was like one pass and I was just like, I just want to sing this really quick. Um, if I was trying to make it believable and sound like 
you know, real vocal, I would probably get it right. You know what I mean? I would sing it until I got every note as good as I could get it, or I would sing it multiple times and I would piece in the right syllable. Um, that's another good thing to talk, talk about. Have you heard of vocal comping? So that's when you sing, I mean, it doesn't, just, doesn't have to be vocals, it could be anything really, but vocals is, um, you know, probably the best application for it. So that's when you sing something like all the way through a song, like three or four times, and you give it the best shot you can possibly get, you do as good as you can, and then you go back and you listen to every word. <laughs> it takes a lot of time, but you listen to every word out of all those takes and you take the best one for each word, each breath, each enunciation. Um, and it sounds kind of like cheating a little bit, but I promise you that every record, modern record that you know and love, that's what they're doing. Um, they're going through and they're getting the best possible word or, or note, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, not all of us have time for that and it's not that important because we're not selling it. You know what I mean? We just want our own recordings or we want to show it to our church. So you might just want to sing it one time. In that case, auto-tune is great because you just put like a light amount of it on and it makes it sound like you did it right. <laughs> um, so here, I think on the bridge, Gotta find the right spot. I like go nuts with the auto tune. Like, cause it just sounds cool. Um, it was like an effect I was going for. I wasn't like trying to like make it seem like I was doing like the perfect vocal take. Like I was like, yes, I'm using auto tune. Like there's no guesswork here. Oh, this is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's uh. So how would you go about putting that on? Like, yeah. So I can actually get into the plugin a little bit. <laughs> Let me turn this down. It's pretty freaking loud. Um. Let me go back to the regular vocal track. Here it is. Um. So. That's like a pretty light auto tune. Shaking. You go even lower. But not alone. There's none. You standing in all your glory. This sounds bad. Um, so here's all the way. Light will shine in the dark. 
knob I use to do that is called retune speed. And so essentially what that means is it's saying how fast do you want this plugin auto-tune to notice that you're singing off. So if it's a slow retune speed, then that means it's taking longer, it's more lazy on realizing it, so it lets more bad notes slide because it's just it's reacting slower. So that would be more realistic. Um, if you go faster with it, then that means immediately, as soon as it hears a bad note, either sharp or flat, it's gonna fix it. So that's when it, when it's all the way up, you hear like the T-Pain thing where it's like really like like dip, like. Break the chains from my heart. It's like going right to it, da, da da There's no scoop or anything. It's just like an immediate um, thing because it's just doing it really fast. Um, Are you telling it what key you're in? How does it yep. know to say you're a quarter step off and you're that bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if it takes you to a note that's not in the key you're in? You it can do that, and it does. <laughs> um, yeah, so just to kind of get started with it, the key of the song is an A. So you go in here and you select A or whatever you want. So that that sets the parameters a little more. And then the next thing is you would choose the scale, which there's a ton of them. And I, the only ones I've ever used is major and chromatic. Um, but there's minor, there's Ling Yun, Scholar's Lute, um, Greek chromatic. Um, I mean, I have no idea. Arabic one. Indian, Barnes Bach, <laughs> um, yeah, go figure. I have no idea what they do, but um, <laughs> so typically, if you just put it on there, it's it's in a major key, um, songs in A, um, that will get you very close. But sometimes, and I do this all the time, um, where. I sing it that bad, or auto-tune just freaks out. That happens a lot, actually. Corey's voice, Corey Asbury, he, his voice just for whatever reason, auto-tune doesn't like receive it well. Um, and he's a great singer. <laughs> I mean, like you guys heard him sing this morning, but for whatever reason, we have a hard time with auto-tune. Um, but, so there's two answers to that. If you've done all those things, your parameters are set as close as you can get them, and it's still going off, um, the best option would be to sing it again. <laughs> um, and with Pro Tools and these other programs, it's really easy because you can do a thing called punching in, um, which is you just find the spot where you want to get it, and then you just press record or Apple Spacebar in Pro Tools, and you just sing it really quick, and then you you just sing the word even, just one word, and then you punch out, and then you can drag the other ends back in if that makes sense. So if you punched in um, when you started recording, it's going to cover up some of the stuff that was already there because you need to give yourself some leadway. Um, so you would think like, well, how do I get that back or record it over? All you have to do, I can show you this. Um, it'll probably make more sense if I just show it. Um, do this on a tiny little keyboard. <laughs> um, so here is, let's open this more, oops. That's the vocals, real big. Um, you can drag stuff like that. So 
Suppose you needed to get this note right here, whatever is there. You, in order to give yourself time to actually sing it, you'd probably have to start recording here. You know, like if you're looking at this ruler, you see that? Um, you'd probably have to start recording there so you could actually figure out where you're at. Um, so you press record there, there's a bunch of blank space until you sing this spot. So all that blank space is there. All you'd have to do is you'd have to take the other end of where the recording began and you just drag it back over and all that stuff's there again, um, which is really awesome. Um, so yeah, punching in is important um, and it's extremely useful. Um, let me give you, just while we're on the mixing aspect of things, I would say that auto-tune would be considered a mixing tool as well. Um, How much was it? I think AutoTune's like 400 bucks. <laughs> it's expensive. They have light versions, I believe, but I think they're almost useless because they're they're just not as good. They don't have the features that you need. And especially with like vocal tuning, like you can't skimp out on that because it's so important. Like people are gonna know you're using it. Like you you don't want people to know that you're using AutoTune. <laughs> like because um, if you you're either using too much, if people know. Um, and you're trying, you know, to prove otherwise, but, um, yeah, let me recommend some products for plugins, mixing plugins. Um, have any of you guys heard of Waves? Yeah. Waves plugins? Waves is probably the most famous and most used company that makes these products. They don't make auto-tune, but as far as processing, so like compressors, EQs, reverbs, delays, those kinds of things, they kind of run the market and they're extremely expensive um, but if you're gonna buy them um, the best ones um, I would say the best plug-in bundle that they make is the SSL bundle is what it's called um, so SSL stands for solid-state logic and what it is is it's just a company that made those huge, and they still do make them, those huge recording consoles that you see in big studios with like a bajillion knobs and a bajillion faders. Mm -hmm. So um, what those consoles are is they're essentially just a bunch of, I mean, essentially they're just a bunch of these. You know what I mean? They're just a channel and an input, but within that channel, there's an EQ, um, there's a gain, there's a compressor sometimes, um, but, so what they SSL or Waves did is they modeled um, a soundboard, um, like a console that uh, the SSL made, and it's, it sounds amazing. And it's really usable stuff. You get an EQ and a compressor. That's all it is, but they're the best ones. And I think they're the best ones. Um, and those are the two main things for mixing is EQ and compression. So if you have two really good ones, then you're probably going to sound really good. Um, so that is a good bundle. I'm just saying this in case you're writing it down and you're going to buy it or something. Um, the Renaissance bundle um, is another uh, bundle that Waves makes, and it has similar stuff. I think it has uh, reverbs and delays, though, which is additional. Um, they're not quite as cool as the SSL bundle, but they're really good stuff. Um, a product that I would really recommend, and I use this all the time, is um, it's called the CLA Artist Bundle. Um, and I'm using it on the vocals right now. So CLA stands for Chris Lord Algae, who is a really big shot 
mixing engineer producer guy. Like he he did Green Day and um, the Deftones and just all these really well-known people. He's kind of like um, he's just a really respected guy in the industry. But he made these plugins that are like so easy it's stupid like <laughs> you just put them on there and it makes it sound better so i'll show you the before and after of like what it sounds like without it um so this is with Shaking. it and i'll take it off oh the auto tune is really hot let me take it down um so this is with it on here's without it <laughs> Yes, it is. It's part of the CLA Hardest Bundle. Um, Light will shine in the dark. Break the chains from my heart. So, it sounds, I mean, the difference is crazy. I mean, but it's not, it's not like because you put it on there necessarily that it got better. The reason that it sounds so good is because this plugin has a combination of EQ, compression, reverb, and delay all bundled into one um, plugin. So, what you would have to do, and this is what most people do, um, and what I do a lot of the times too, is you have an individual EQ um, plugin. You have an individual compressor, you have an individual delay, individual reverb. So what's special about this plugin, which makes it really easy if you don't really know what you're doing, is you can, uh, so if this makes sense, like this is the, the compressor slider, you're kind of like, well, that doesn't make sense. When you showed me a compressor, there was like eight knobs, so how would it, how would it compress with just a slider? Or with the EQ, there's just bass and treble. So when you showed me the EQ, there was all these different kilohertz and there was mid-range and stuff. Like, how does that work? What happens within this plugin is by just raising or lowering the slider, there's a, like 10 other parameters within that plugin that are being adjusted by just doing that. So that's why it's like really awesome. You just slap it on there and it sounds really good. It just matched a bunch of what's the CLA. So if you go to waves.com and, and you just type in CLA artist bundle, um, you'll find it. Um, and there's actually, don't buy the wrong one because he also, there's a CLA compressor bundle, which is just compressors and they're really cool. They're modeled after. Um, I should explain this too. Compressors and stuff like that, preamps, EQ, they're not, they didn't start out their life as <laughs> computer programs. Before that, they were actual physical, it's called outboard gear, um, and they were actual um, uh, devices. You know what I mean? It actually looked really similar to this. You would mount it in like a rack unit, and it was analog. It was like real stuff going on. Um, um, so it's not like that's the only compressor that has ever existed. Before that, there was outboard gear compressors, and what people will do is they'll make digital plugins that replicate um, those compressors, similar to with the SSL one from Waves. It was replicating that soundboard channel strip. Um, so the CLA compressors that Waves sell 
they're replicating these really old compressors on the Universal Audio. It's like a really famous company made. Um, and they sound good. But I wouldn't buy those unless you were really confident with your mixing, um, personally. Um, Is this one like vocal specific? Yep. Yeah, let me go into something that's more for vocals. This is just for vocals. So, um, yeah, it says up here, maybe it doesn't. I thought it did. Oh, yeah, and it's really hard to see, but like when you open up um, your little slot here to put a plug in, in um, so I'll go to where I know it's located. Um, it says in here, CLA vocals. So this is just for vocals. I mean, you can I mean you can use it for whatever you want, but it's engineered for that. But then there's also one that's called CLA Unplugged, um, and this is for pianos, acoustic guitars, anything that's unplugged that's kind of like a raw instrument like that. Like there's strings and things like that. Um, another one that I use all the time is this one. It's called CLA Effects. Um, and it has a bunch of different things. It has an, an EQ is what they're calling it, but it's really like an effect, like a filter. So like if you put one of those on and you turn it up, it'll sound like this, like a telephone or something, like a more effecty kind of thing. Um, there's a distortion one if you just want to quickly add some grunge to it. You've carried me from the start. Really cool. Um, there's a reverb, there's a delay, there's some chorusy stuff. I don't really ever use that unless I'm trying to get all Pink Floyd with it and psychedelic, but like I imagine some people would use it. Um, yeah, and then let's see, what else is there that they make? There's a bass one, um, which is very cool. You just put it on a bass channel, um, and and again, these are all engineered specifically for those functions. You know what I mean? Like, so they knew what they were doing when they made the bass plugin. Like, it's meant for low-end frequencies, um, which is really cool. Is there any questions about plugins? Any further questions? Yeah, let me go into a little bit more on outboard gear. Um, like I said, there's compressors as a popular um, piece of outboard gear. Um, but another one, and this is, you know, this is in the live application as well, but within the recording realm, um, preamps, which we mentioned before, how this channel in there, there's a preamp, which is amplifying the microphone signal. Um, they, they can color the sound in a positive way. So, um, those preamps that are within that um, piece of gear, not very good. Um, they're not, they're just kind of stock. There's nothing really special about them. They make the sound louder, the microphone signal louder, but they're not like cool sounding. So there's typically two different types of preamp. There's tube preamp and there's solid state preamp. Um, so a, a tube preamp is, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's being powered by vacuum tubes. It's got tubes in it, and it's like a way more like 
warm, kind of like creamy, more beautiful sound. So I would use, and again, this is totally preference. It's not like tubes are just for vocals or just for drums or something like that. But I would say that I would use a tube um, preamp probably on a vocal um, because it's a more organic sound. It's a little more um, kind of like intimate and crisp. And so you'd want something that's a little more natural to pick that up. But that's totally subjective. You could use a solid state preamp for that as well. Um, like most of the, the preamps that are within like, actually I would say probably all of the preamps that are in like a digital console, like what we use um, for the conference, those are solid state preamps. There's not little tubes in each one of those little channels. Um, and we're doing vocals with those. So as you can see, it works, but they just have different characteristics and different sounds. Like a solid state, it's probably gonna react a little faster, be a little more um, quick and precise. Um, and then a tube amp is gonna be a little more, like I said, kind of creamy and, and, and soft and, and good. A little more character, I would say. Um, so yeah, um, there's, I can give you some recommendations for those preamps, um, but they're, they're really expensive. So if you're just doing, you know, vocals and guitar and piano, like I wouldn't say you need to go out and buy a better preamp. Um, if you want to, you totally can and you'll love it. Um, but unless you know how to make it work, you probably won't even tell the difference. But um, yeah, I mean like I've recorded vocals with that before, just with that channel and it sounds good, but then like I use a good preamp and I'm like, yeah, it's better. <laughs> so it's just kind of one of those things. Um, there's tons and tons of companies, but um, Avalon, I don't know if you guys have heard of Avalon, but that's like a very um, well-known company. Um, like five or eight years ago, I remember Avalon being very coveted for vocals. There's a, a preamp called a 737 Avalon, um, and we have a couple of those here at the church, and it's a tube amp preamp. Um, and it sounds awesome. It's good for vocals. Um, and within, this is another cool thing. Oh, that was scary. Um, <laughs> within that piece of gear, um, there's also an EQ and a compressor. So it's a channel strip. So it's, it's pre-amplifying it with a tube, but then it goes to a compression channel, which is outboard, and then an EQ channel. Um, and I, I can't always tell the difference, and this is just me being honest, tell the difference between using a digital EQ and an outboard EQ. Um, it's kind of one of those things where it's just like you're making it higher, you're making it low, or you're lowering the mid, or um, raising the mid-range. Um, but, you know, it's on there if you want to use it. So if you know the kind of sound you want, be like when you're recording into Pro Tools, you can set those parameters, but then you're stuck with it. That's the only problem with using outboard gear. If you use a compressor that's outboard or an EQ or anything that's outboard when you're recording in, that is how it will sound. Um, so that is why these are really cool, um, is because you can take them off or you can change the parameters even after it's recorded, um, which is awesome. But, you know, um, compression is one of those things where it's like if you have a good outboard compressor, you'll be able to tell. It sounds better. Um, so Avalon, yes, right here. Just real related to that idea of the outboard is also the physical presence of the room, the environment mm -hmm. which you're recording. Uh, can you speak to like the need for foam or what kind of acoustic yeah. you want real quick? 
totally. Um, I would say this is a bad room to record vocals. And that would be because there's a wooden floor, um, there's whatever drywall this is. It's very, there's echo, you know what I mean? Um, so some people might disagree, but I would say if I'm recording vocals, I would want to be in either a really small area with a lot of soft things around so that when I do this, it just dies. And the reason I would say I want that is because I can control the amount of slapback echo or reverb within one of the plugins. Um, whereas if I record it in a big room like this, I'm stuck with it. And maybe I want it to be really, you know, crisp and I don't want all that stuff. Um, but I would say this would be a pretty cool room to record drums in because it would sound bigger. You know what I mean? Like. Um, drums you don't want them to sound puny you want them to sound like awesome and so like um, there's you know there's close mics which is what uh, like a microphone right on something so if like I was micing a tom or a snare drum or something I would put the microphone like if this is the drum I would put it, like right here you know um, but then and so you close mic each drum the toms the snares all that stuff hi-hats but then there's overheads as well overhead mics and so a lot of people think that overheads are just for picking up cymbals it's just for the ride cymbal and the crashes but it's not true um, I mean it does pick up a ton of ride and crashes um, and you need them there to hear that stuff but it also picks up the overall sound of the drums so if I was recording drums I would want those overheads to pick up an awesome big lush sound and then I would also have a room mic you know, over there or something, if I was recording the drums right here, um, that would pick up the natural ambience of the room. Um, so, um, that's drums though, um, and that's kind of a different monster, but if I was recording electric guitar, or acoustic guitar, or, I mean bass you're usually plugging in direct, but anything that like you really want to control more, I would say you'd want to soundproof the room in a way so that there's a lot of soft you know things like carpet or they make professional stuff it's just super expensive um, but you'd want stuff to absorb the sound so that that doesn't happen like you can hear it over there at least I can where I'm at um, so yeah does that make sense absolutely thanks yeah um, I think we're getting there to the end of this thing um, is there any any more questions anything at all right here do you have any time to talk about using recordings or whatever live during services like how crazy do you go on processing all that or do you keep it raw and let your sound guy add stuff I mean, what do you what do you can you elaborate what partial recordings mean do you mean like a backing track yeah, like that's like supplemental yeah yeah um can drums or a little synthesizer totally yeah i i wonder if i can bring something up so i can show you um, we make a lot of those here. Like, so for Open Up the Heavens, um, that song we did this morning, um, that's a track we made here. Let me see if I can find it. I might just have it in. Something we've been wanting to do. Yeah. I just don't really know the philosophy behind that. How, yeah. How much processing you do to do stuff. Here we go. This is going to have click in one side so it's gonna be kind of annoying but 
sounding like there'll be that kind of stuff and then there'll be percussion elements a lot of the times um but yeah that's typically what we would do it's not a lot but it's like cool like there's strings in there like yeah, that's right. sweet yeah, <laughs> who's um, usually clicking that on and off uh, like, the drummer typically right. but did you guys um, use that this morning we did yeah that, that same track it's awesome do you guys all hear the click or is it just the drummer we all hear the click there's so if you're not using in ears it'll be pretty you can't use yeah, the click. Yeah. Unless you just have to shake Get in here anyway, though. Yeah. Which is that a lot of people do that. They'll have shaker going the whole time. Um, but that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to do. I used to play in a band um, where I played drums and we'd play at these events and this guy would run loops and stuff like that and there was no click and we would always get off. So you gotta have it. So yeah, I think that's all we got. That's all I got. So thanks for coming, you guys. Hopefully this was. Great.